Well, today I'm following a leading which I believe to be from the Lord, which is to launch a series of teachings called Filled. I'm launching it because central to the experience, central, make sure you get this, central to the experience of being a Christian at all, central to the experience of being a Christian is the reality of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That's part of being a Christian, is to be filled with God's Holy Spirit, is to walk in His Spirit, is to live by His Spirit. This is central. This is an essential dynamic of being a Christian at all, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I feel strongly led to spend some time Inviting the Lord to come and increase our understanding about it, open spaces in our heads for it, but even more to open places in our hearts to receive more and more and more and more and more of the Holy Spirit. Is anybody with me? Okay. So that's what we're starting today. Originally, I had envisioned it being a four-part series centered around four questions. One was, what does it even mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? That's a good question. Second, what's the, what's the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit? What is God really doing? Number three, how can I know for sure if I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? That would be good to know, right? And then number four, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? So these were my four starting questions, but a problem arose this week as I was preparing the first message around the first question. And the problem that that arose as I was preparing the first message regarding the Holy Spirit was the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And so as I was completing my preparations for preaching this morning in what was admittedly a very ambitious amount of material to go over in one spot, the Holy Spirit came and spoke this one word to me. He said, smaller. I pressed in, you know, I leaned in. I heard him say again. He said, smaller. Not that it makes any difference to probably most of you, but I had a mental picture of a hay baler. Sorry, that's probably not going to help, but... You make the best hay when it comes in and evenly and makes the small flakes for the bale. Seven of you now relate to that, I realize. But when you try to jam it in too fast, you don't come out with a good result. So I heard the Holy Spirit just say, smaller, smaller. And it struck me in my time with them that the Holy Spirit himself wants to come and carefully walk us through the dynamic of what it even means to be filled by him. So I'd like to ask you to begin this series with me in prayer by putting your heart before God, which you can do right now. Just set your heart before God with some expression that goes something like, Lord, I 
I want to know what this means to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want the confusion in my mind to be settled. I want the objections that I have to be overcome. I want any disappointments that I've had in my walk to be uh, healed and dealt with. I want to give you a blank sheet of paper on which to write, Lord, the, the teaching of the Holy Spirit and what it is you mean to do in offering to fill us with yourself in this way. So right now, Lord, we lay down our prejudices, we lay down our objections, we, as much as it's possible for us, we give you our open minds and our surrendered hearts for you to come and begin a work in us today that will carry on for some season of time that that you get to choose, you get to decide, and will transform us into spirit-filled believers of God, spirit-filled followers of Jesus, spirit-filled vessels of the kingdom of God on the earth. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what happened uh, during the first week of preparation is that the series has already grown from four to five weeks because a pre-question emerged. (laughs) And uh, given my experience with the Holy Spirit, I can't guarantee that it will be done in five, but that is today's plan. And uh, I just think we should take however long it takes for the Holy Spirit to walk us through this well. Because on the other end of this thing, I see uh, an enlivened church. I see... uh, I see a better, healthier thing even than what we have today. So the first question uh, was really not on the list. And the first question I want to deal with today is, who really needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, who needs this? Who, who really is supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I think it's, it's common for us to think that being filled with the Holy Spirit is sort of optional, that it's a, a different kind of level of being a Christian. I think it's common for people to think that the Holy Spirit is reserved for th- maybe three classes of people. One, one, you have the people who really need it. You know, you have the, the sick, the in trouble, uh, the poor. And so, you know, it's common to think that poor people need the Holy Spirit because affluent people go off and become Episcopalians and Presbyterians and stuff, you know? I think it's kind of common to think that way, isn't it? And and yet the Holy Ghost churches are kind of the rank and file regular people. I think that's a common, horrendous misconception. But that's common. I think another group, sometimes we think the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, is meant for those who are really intense about their faith, you know? I mean, it's like they just want to go... They, they're just really passionate, and they, wanted, they want to experience at, 
at kind of a deeper level. They kind of want to supersize their faith, you know? They don't want the regular meal deal. They want to supersize it. They want the biggie fries. They want the biggie God. They want the biggie Christianity. They want, they want more of it. And they're willing to pay more too, aren't they? They're willing to lean in harder and sacrifice more and fast and go to more Bible studies. And they're no, you know, it's kind of being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is for those types. And the third class of people, I think, commonly are thought of as people who maybe need to be filled with the Holy Spirit are we train professionals. You know, the pastors and the missionaries and the TV preachers and stuff like that, you know? These people who, who wield great influence in the lives of others, I mean, for heaven's sake, they ought to be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And I think, unfortunately, that sometimes we, we look at this concept of being filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that says, well, it's, it's something that's there, and it's for a certain set of people. So we start with the question, who really needs this stuff anyway? And I think you can already anticipate my short answer, right? Who really needs this stuff? You do. Craig, you need it. And Rick, you need it. And Dave, you need it. Rich, you need it. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mike, Tom, you guys need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. David, Christy, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sally, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Doug, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lloyd, Liz, Joel, Daniel, Susan, You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Esther, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Cassie, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Josh, Lee, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Richard, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Terry and Nancy, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Who needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Steve, Wendy, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Chuck, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Tom, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is the short answer. Everybody does. It's an essential part of being a Christian at all. It's not a kind of Christian. It's central to the reality of being a Christian. Some of you are trying to struggle along without this. You're trying to just get along and you're trying to fight the fight with your own strength. How's that working out for you so far? Some of you are noticing how you can be two different people. You can come here and be a certain person and filled with joy and filled with passion. And you've noticed how you can come into this place and you can sense something, a whole other reality, another dimension of yourself. And then it wears off as you leave. Some of you can sense that, can't you? 
And here you're in the company of the Holy Spirit. Here we're in the company of the Holy Spirit. We have the privilege of the Holy Spirit here moving among us. But we can be in the company of the Holy Spirit and not be filled with the Holy Spirit so that when we leave the gathered company of the Holy Spirit, we, we feel on our own. And we're a different person there than we were here. Can anybody relate? And how many of you want to be the same person there that you are here? Well, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to take this life that you experience here home with you? To work with you? To school with you? Well, in reality, every person who's serious about following Jesus to heaven needs to understand with their heads the teaching of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God gave us each a competent brain with which to understand this teaching. And we need to to get it into our heads what it means, even what the Bible is saying, by what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, every person who wants to live the full life of Jesus needs to experience experience the reality of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And not just to have it categorized in their heads, but experienced in their hearts as their, their life is surrendered over to Jesus. So this is my heart, is to share the teaching of it as clearly as I can. Cookies on the bottom shelf, where everybody can reach. Been walking with Jesus forever, you'll love it. Brand new to the Lord Jesus, you'll love it. Still trying to make up your mind about the Lord Jesus? Pay attention. You may love this. But we're going to start with the cookies on the bottom shelf each week about as we deal with the questions. Because there's so much confusion on the subject of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is so much confusion. And there's so much kind of marketing of it. Have you noticed this? There's kind of marketing of it. You know, that somebody will get sort of a corner on what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and they will use that to market themselves or their church or their denomination, They kind of market their wares. There's so much confusion about it. And the confusion, the confusion that we face today about the Holy Spirit has its roots in two primary sources. The first primary source is 112 years old. It started in 1906 in the poor district in a poor district in Los Angeles, California, on a street called Azusa. In a little mission church that had been a a, a church years before this, but it had been converted into a horse stable. And these people, these poor people, were trying to find a place to explore God together, and they they found this old stable, and they cleaned it out. And even years after, it was said that when you go to Azusa, you have to put up with the flies. But an uncomplicated, unschooled, African-American man by the name of Joseph Seymour became intrigued in his reading of the book of Acts how there was so much speaking in tongues when the Holy Spirit came. And he began to explore that, though he himself had never spoken in tongues. And he began to just teach with a question like, 
you know, should we be seeing this and more of this kind of thing happening? And people were coming to listen to this. And at some point, three days into a ten-day fast, one of the members began speaking in tongues before Joseph Seymour did. I hate it when that happens. And then not long after that, the woman that Joseph Seymour was dating began speaking in tongues before Joseph Seymour did. But he was preaching about being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And an unfortunate connection happened back in 19, about, about 1910, because this revival went on from 1906 to 1915. It was a long meeting. But an unfortunate theological event occurred where people started attaching being filled with the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues, as though that were somehow the only definitive evidence that someone had been filled with the Holy Spirit, which Joseph Seymour never meant. They saw a lot of speaking in tongues, but they also saw a lot of people healed. They also saw a lot of evangelism. They also saw a lot of outpouring of the other gifts of the Spirit. But an unfortunate kind of focus occurred that has created, continued to this day, confusion about what it even means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, the biggest miracle of the whole 10-year meeting has gone uncelebrated because of that confusion. And the biggest miracle was while this untrained, uncomplicated African-American pastor stood there and preached his heart, white people came, Latino people came, Asian people came, and there was every tribe, every tongue, every nation standing there together praising God and listening to this man preach. And that was the miracle of Azusa. That was the evidence that the Holy Spirit had been poured out. This is 1906, people. Jim Crow was in full speed. And so this confusion lingers, huh? Let's see. Is God the author of confusion? What does the Bible say about that? And the devil is the author, the author of lies. But the second source of the confusion has been another wave of Holy Spirit renewal in the West, and that's sometimes referred to as the charismatic renewal of the, started principally in the 1960s, and it started principally in mainline liturgical groups, Episcopalian groups, Catholic groups, and then spread into the rest. But from this, then, there was a resurgence of the move of the Holy Spirit. And so then there was this distinction between who the Pentecostals are and who the Charismatics are. Are you Pentecostal or Charismatic? May I see your identification, please? And you see, the devil has just started this confusion. Confusion, and we've missed the beauty of it. We've missed the beauty that the Holy Spirit wants to pour himself out on his church and make it something that it can't be without him. And the confusion lingers, and the enemy has in many cases successfully turned these two wonderful things, Azusa and the charismatic renewal, into something that has divided the church when the scriptures clearly say that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to unite the church, to make us one. So let's do something crazy. Let's do something crazy. Prepare to gasp and actually turn to the words of the Bible. There you go. 
And turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And let's see if we can begin with an understanding of this thing from the Scriptures. Acts chapter 1. Now the the context of this passage is that Jesus has already risen from the dead. He uh, has been walking around for 40 days, appearing to his disciples, creating quite a stir. And so we start in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And the author, who's Luke, says, In my former book, which we have named after him, which is the Gospel of Luke, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, Theophilus is probably... uh, a clever, a clever name. Theophilus, Theophile means God lover, right? So he's writing to this sort of guy named Theophilus. May have been an historical person, maybe not. But uh, in my former book, you God lovers, he said I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Really important. You get that began. I, I wrote about the beginning while Jesus until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. He said, you just wait there because something's going to happen. My father promised it. You've heard me speak about it. You wait for it. And he says, for John, this is so critical, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We are just adventures in missing the point. We are, we are so good at asking dumb questions. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates. This is a big oive. It's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority. And then he goes back to his subject. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then look at verse 9. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now focus with me on verse 5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is one of the primary places where the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, finds its roots. Although notice that the preposition of does not appear there. The phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is largely an unbiblical phrase uh, because Jesus said you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so some of the confusion has come just from the the, the repeated use of that phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said there's an important distinction there. And so to properly understand the baptism in slash with the Holy Spirit, we have to begin with this, this thing that Jesus, in rising from the dead and ascending to the Father, made way for something to happen that couldn't have happened before this. Something Jesus could only complete after he had died on the cross and risen from the dead. It was something that he could only complete uh, and sustain after his ascension to the Father. And what he tells us is that John the Baptist started a kind of baptism, didn't he? That's how he got the Baptist tag. John the Baptizer, he, uh, he, he started something that he couldn't finish. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I'm going to show you this 
You can find this in other Gospels as well. Mark chapter 1, verse 4. The Bible says, and so John came. This is John the Baptist. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is so important. And by the time we get to the end of this message, in a few minutes, some of you are going to go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed that. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching. What was he preaching? A baptism of what? Repentance. The only thing John could preach was repentance. John had no authority to forgive sins. All he could say was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. All he could say was repent, because Jesus is right here. Jesus will do the rest. And John said, I must decrease so he can increase. And so this is so critical that John started with a baptism of repentance. So that anybody who received this kind of baptism was only taken to the place of repentance. And he said, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So they repented and they confessed. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. This is critical. After me, when I'm done, when I am gone, when I'm finished, after they lop off my head, after me will come one more powerful than I, who can do something I can't do. And he said, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He is so much greater than me. And he says this key thing. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about Jesus. That Jesus was going to come and do something that John couldn't do. John offered a baptism of repentance. If you go and listen to the message of John, he can take you all the way to repenting, turning from your sin, acknowledging that you have sinned against a holy God, and confessing your sin. But that's all the farther he can take you. That's all the farther he can take you. He can just say, there's Jesus who's coming who will do the rest. Is this making sense so far? Now turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And look what happens in the course of Jesus' Speaking in verse 12. John chapter 14 and verse 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these. Why? Because I am going to the Father. He says, when I go to the Father, something's going to change. He says, you'll even be able to do greater things than the things you've seen me do. There is going to be a dynamic, experiential reality of God in your life because I'm going to the Father. That's, that's so key. Verse 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. He's promising some kind of a dynamic power available to us, but it's so key to get that because he's going to the Father. Couldn't happen before he went to the Father. I'll show you why. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and catch this, He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. That's the Holy Spirit. He says, so we have Father, we have Jesus, the Son, who came and did the work and ascended back to the Father, sits at the right hand of the Father, and because of that, then the Holy Spirit, the third manifestation, the third face of God, is released to come into the world. But could not happen until Jesus died for our sins. So John couldn't offer the Holy Spirit. 
John could only offer a baptism of repentance. He could only bring them to the repent and confess. But he said, you're going to have to go to Jesus to do the rest. Is this making sense so far? It's so, it's so key. Keep reading. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For, look at it. For he lives with you and will be in you. Here's the promise of Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to the Father. And when I go to the Father, I'm going to ask him. And the Father's going to release the Holy Spirit who will be in you. And we'll get to more about what that means next week. But he'll be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Oh, I thought you were going away. Yeah, but it's me. It's me, he's saying, in the Holy Spirit. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you'll see me. The world won't see him because he'll be dead, risen from the grave, and gone. So with world eyes, you can't see him. But he said, you'll see me. Why? Because I live. I'm living inside of you. You also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you. Oh, people, get this. Get this. The whole talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, in the book of Acts, is about completing what John could not do. The confusion is so unnecessary. Because now we go back to our passage in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Look at it with me. In verse 4. And he said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. See, Jesus is just coming and keeping the father's promises. And, and which you heard me speak about. Now, here's where it all makes sense. For John baptized with water, he could only bring you to repentance and confession. But in a few days, you'd be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'd be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 9, Jesus ascends. He says, I'm going back to the Father. So off he goes with the Father. And then in Acts 2, what happens? The Holy Spirit is poured out just as he promised. That could have never happened before Jesus ascended to the Father. This is all part of the redemptive mechanism of God. It could have never happened. And it's so important to understand when you read these passages in Acts about these people who said, well, I've never heard of a Holy Spirit. And this was the initial encounter with the Holy Spirit as the presence of God and his people. And this was the completion of John's baptism of repentance. Now, once that happened, something new could happen. Acts chapter 2. Look, so the Holy Spirit is poured out in the first part of Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up and gives a message to explain it. And uh, when he does, verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Jesus, or Peter replied, repent, that's John's message, right? Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss that. Because we got people running around saying that if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're not done. And that is true in some cases, but not in every case, as I'm going to show you in just a second. But it is completely the plan of God that when you come to Jesus as your Savior and repent, that you also receive at that time the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, the church has messed that up. But what we're seeing now is now that Jesus ascended to the Father, this can happen all at once. An authentic conversion to Jesus Christ, where he becomes Savior and Lord of your life, is also the same moment at which you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are baptized in the Holy Spirit. doesn't always happen, but that's the intention. If you look at Paul's experience in Acts chapter 9 that we looked at a couple weeks ago, Remember that? Paul had a repentant experience on the road to Damascus, yes? And then they called Ananias to go lay hands on him. And then look at verse 17 in Acts chapter 9. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you that you may see again and what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That part of Saul's conversion was that at that time, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, by contrast, keep turning back to Acts chapter 19. We encounter a fellow named Apollos. And this is so critical. This will, this will make it all crystallized for you right here. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Look at the next question. Then what baptism did you receive? Well, John's baptism, they replied, which was a baptism of what? Repentance only. Well, then Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. So so it's completed. The repentance is completed as the Holy Spirit comes. John couldn't do that because Jesus hadn't died. But once Jesus had died, there does not have to be a two-stage process of coming to the Lord where you repent and hang out there for a while till you can't stand it anymore, and then somebody comes and lays hands on you and you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's ridiculous. It's meant all to happen at the same time. And there's such scandalous abuse of this thing where people work up crowds and say, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And if they can't get a bite on that, they say, well, are you speaking in tongues? And off and off they go and pressure people into the, I guess not, I, know. I drove a Honda to Kenya, I drove a Honda to Kenya, I drove a Honda to Kenya. And if you say, I drove a Honda to Kenya long enough, you'll think you're speaking in tongues. And I think that's a scandalous abuse of what is such a beautiful thing. That God says, I, I want to save you, and when I save you, I want to baptize you in me. I want to fill you with me. And why doesn't so much of the church in the world experience and enjoy the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Because in so many cases, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been reduced to a gospel of repentance only. Think about this. And in effect, we have reduced the gospel to a baptism of repentance. When you came to Christ, some of you were counseled this way. Do you repent of your sins? Yes, I feel terrible about my sins. I know, I know that I have sinned against a holy God and I repent of my sins. Do you confess your sins? Yes. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross to save you? Yes, I do. Sign here. 
Sign here. You're in. Welcome to the family. You're one of us. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to read your Bible every day. I want you to pray as hard as you can. I want you to influence as many people as you can to also believe in the Jesus that you now believe in. And just hang on until he comes back. That is a common presentation of the gospel. Then along comes these crazy Pentecostals and Charismatics who say, that's not it. That's not the all. That's not the all of it. And they start laying hands on people who only went halfway to baptism of repentance and people start receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and prophesying and healing the sick, etc. And then so a whole new doctrine raises up. Well, it has to, there's two stages. No, there's one stage, but you've got to come all the way. Does that make sense? That you're not in until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why I say central to the reality of being a Christian at all is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's missing is the experiential dynamic of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? It means that that it's very possible that some people in this very room have an incomplete conversion experience with God. You have a repentance only. And you surely must begin here. You can't get the Holy Spirit till you repent. But check this out. Acts 3.19, one single verse. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That in one single verse is the whole thing. The refreshing is the move, the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Holy Spirit coming and filling all the empty spaces of our life. And the truth is that some people are not living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit because they were taught that repentance from sin was all there was to the experience of being born again. But in John chapter 3, when Jesus talked about being born again, he said, unless a man is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. For flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit, he says, gives birth to the Spirit. And the practical implications of this are just really dramatic. If you're you're not filled with the Holy Spirit then you likely feel up and down all the time in your walk with God. Now I'm up, now I'm down. Now it's important, now it's not important. Now I'm passionate, now I don't even remember what I was doing that for. I don't know if any of this sounds familiar. You're one thing here, and you're a very different thing out there. And part of the reason you come here is because you love what you are here, but can't manage to be out there. That's indication that you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Of course it's different out there than it is. It, but you don't have to become a different person. Some of you feel left to fight this thing on your own strength. Where is this power supposed to come from? From the Holy Spirit. Some of you are not seeing powerful kingdom moves of the Spirit in front of you. You don't have stories to tell. Some of you are trying to live off the experiences of others. Some of you come to listen to me or listen to somebody or sing some song that talks about an experience that hasn't been yours. And you live, try, to, try to live off of that. You know, I first came to Christ so many years ago when I first heard the gospel. And I was so compelled to ask Jesus into my life. I did. And there was zero change in my life after that. Zero. 
I, with tears, ask Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins and be my Savior and Lord, as it was explained to me. With tears, I asked. And my concept of being a Christian was to live in sin all week long and come back on Sunday and get saved again. And I was always coming up to this altar in this little church. And it wasn't like here where there was sort of a lot of traffic. It was, I wonder what he did, you know. When you went up, something was up. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Week after week after week, ah, God. But it wasn't until the invasion of the Holy Spirit that things really began to change for me. Have a great week.